0: Hello, everyone. It's so good to see you. I know I haven't been here the last few weeks. I've been dealing with sickness in my house and then I had an emergency. We thought I was going to deliver this baby this week and... Everything's good. Um, just a couple of announcements. Here's something for your calendar March 12th, which is Tuesday, and March 13th, which is Wednesday. There will be no Bible study. That will be our spring break week. It does match up with, I believe, the Peoria School District. Um, so there will be no Bible study that 12th and 13th. Um, Shannon has the week off. Her and Rob are going to have a little getaway. We got her a weekend scheduled away. So that's exciting. Um, So just one more time, March 12th and 13th, there'll be no Bible study. Um, Do me a favor this week, if you could, if you are on social media, share Shannon's page or share um, one of her messages with someone. If you are behind on a message, you can catch up online. MaryShannon.org is her website. You can catch the podcast as well as the YouTube, and those will all be up on Thursday. It's good to see you. I'll be in the lobby if you have any questions. If you'd like to give, there's giving cards out there. Otherwise, have a great week, and I will be here next week to see you.
1: Good morning. How y'all doing? Good? How many of you have been reading the book of Acts? (laughs) I love that at least y'all are honest with me. You know, it would be helpful if you would read through the chapters. (laughs) I love, Penny, how you're laughing already. Uh, If you'd read through the chapters and ponder and meditate on these chapters, uh, because there's some amazing questions I get from people who are actually doing that. Plus, it'll be more familiar to you. And, you know, I tell you over and over when you just rely on me, I mean, that's a scary situation (laughs) because basically you're eating my regurgitated food. That's nasty. You understand what I'm saying? I take it in and chew it up, and chew it up, and ponder it, and think through it, and research it, and then I give it out to you and you know, little pieces. There's lots, lots of trails I don't even go down, and it, that cannot sustain you. You have to have a daily diet of it, and um, I wish I could uh, make you fall in love more and more with the Scripture. I always talk about dancing with your Scripture. It's so awesome. Like put yourself in there. My mentor taught me that. I read a book about Jewish people dancing with their scripture. And I just, I never got that image out of my mind. Some days I call him and I go, today we danced. And then some days I call him, I go, today I am Jacob hanging on for dear life. It was not a dance. It was a wrestling match, but it's, it's to be in there, And to be a part of that. And so honestly, if there's anything that I ever hope for out of my teaching, I'm not sure I change your life every week, to be quite honest, that anything I say, you walk out and go, I will never be the same. It is a life-changing event. And I just wonder by Wednesday or by Thursday, do you even think of what we talked about on Tuesday, right? But if I can do anything, I want to make you fall in love with the Bible the story of the Bible, because if I can make you fall in love with it, then you're going to get your face in it. And the longer you hang out with me and we study this Bible together, the more you'll hear my voice as you study that Bible. I have friends that always say, I hear, I read through it and I hear your voice saying certain things. Well, why was that? Well, what happened there? Well, that's interesting. Well, how weird is that? Oh my god. Like and you start to hear this commentary in the back of your head, which is kind of scary. But but good because it makes you think about things, right? And so it is awesome to be in that Bible and then as you study it, guess what you do as you're driving in your car and you're go, or you're taking your hikes or you're doing what you're you're thinking about that story. And isn't it interesting how like you'll be in a scripture and then all day long you have these like callbacks. Somebody will send you a meme and it's that same scripture, or you'll see something and you're like, wow. And you know what that reminds you of? That there is another true realm all around us and that it keeps our eyes focused on that realm behind the veil that there is something bigger going on than me finding new pillows for my couch. Are you with me? Which, by the way, don't even go try. There's nothing out there. I wasted two and a half hours on Sunday for a $25 pillow I mean, really, is it worth it? I don't know. But that's what I did. Isn't it funny how one minute you could be in your office in the depths of the most important things in the world, and the other minute you can be driving all over the planet for a striped pillow? You know, and really and truly, it's the striped pillow and that kind of stuff that can really suck all the hours out of my day, more than the main thing. So I want to encourage you to do that. You know, I've been doing uh, gardening and stuff like that. I just showed a picture to Cindy Bergarello. I'm trying to bring back these dumb raised gardens that I have. Anybody garden? So, you know, we just have to the end of February to get this stuff planted. So we got to get going. Do you realize that these trees have roots? All around, one of which grew up into my raised garden from one end all the way to the other. I have pictures if you want to see later. I was fighting these roots like nobody's business. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, trying to pull them out. And, you know, of course, I go get the all and cut the root and yank it out of my garden and do all that stuff. But it reminds me, I'm like these idiot trees, those roots just go wherever they can find water. right and they become super strong and they grow everywhere there is water and so i'm just going to leave you with that when the winds come and the storms come cuz they will you will only be as strong as your preparation at the, at the end of the day that's what it is that will keep you stable and those roots are going to go wherever that wherever there is water. And so, can I please encourage you to get your face in the Bible because that's where it's at, right? And so, we're gonna uh, we're gonna finish up. I I began uh, the Ethiopian eunuch quickly at the end, but we're gonna go. We're gonna finish this story, and then we're gonna get in to Saul of Tarsus. Um, And he's, I mean, really and truly, other than we're going to go to Peter for a little bit, but then we're going to come back to the Apostle Paul, and he's the main dude from here on out, right? You want to talk about a conversion. And so we're going to get into the scripture here. We're going to get into this Ethiopian eunuch. Um, It's a beautiful picture. Lord, thank you so much for today. God, I just, um, I thank you that... You are the anchor of our soul. I thank you, Lord, that you gave us the scripture, this narrative, this story, uh, where we can see how you have been faithful all along, even if we are not, and that you will bring every promise to fruition. I thank you that you have told it in a story where we can see the climax of that story, the death and resurrection of Jesus, and the salvation, the restoration of Israel, and the, and really the blessing to all nations. And Lord, I thank you that the story continues in the life of the church and the people and the Spirit of God living that out, and that we see the church going throughout all of the nations, not bringing them into a building, but going out and preaching the gospel of the kingdom may we be about that business and lord may we not be distracted by all of the matrix around us the things of this world but we would keep our eyes fixed on you because we're a part of a great story we're reminded that acts really doesn't have an end because we're living out acts today still and so god we we long for your return but until then um Be in us and speak through us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Open up your Bibles. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go towards the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. There is a desert place, and he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. It's in Isaiah 53, by the way, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he opens not his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied him who can describe this generation for his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. What a story. Okay, remember, one of the major themes of Luke Acts is the universalization of the gospel that the gospel was for all people, okay? And he actually finds this stated in what I think is, is my opinion of one of Luke's favorite prophets, Isaiah. In Isaiah, it says, I think at the end of Isaiah 52, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Well, guess what? Exhibit A the Ethiopian eunuch. Do you remember me telling you that I believe, um, I see it as like this microcosm of what is going on. It's the same as like in Genesis chapter one, all of a sudden we have this microcosm in the first 11 chapters of the beginning of all things. So the beginning of creation, the, the creation of man, and then the catastrophe of rebellion. We see it. Boom, boom, boom. If you were in my classes back in the day, we would go creation, fall, flood nations. Boom. This is the situation we're in. And then he picks a man. Abram, and through that, right, we see the, the whole plan of redemption start in detail. It's almost like this for me here in Acts, because he has made a statement, go make disciples in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And it's almost like right away we get this microcosm, this uh, quick look of what that is like, because you see... Um, Pentecost happened in Jerusalem and then we have what I call the Samaritan Pentecost and then now we have the Ethiopian eunuch which represents what to the ends of the earth we see it boom boom that this the gospel is going the gospel of the kingdom is going to explode and this is a beautiful picture so exhibit a of that the Ethiopian eunuch. The ancient world was basically uh, divided into mostly three people groups at this time. Greeks, Romans, Jews, right? But that's not all the people. There are people outside of the empire on the fringes. Paul even talks about people in the gospel that were non-Greek speaking people, which means what? They were pretty much people outside on the fringes. They weren't in this empire because what was the common language? Greek. Y'all can not talk to me. It's okay. Greek, right? And so there were people. Um, So there were people on the fringes, people that we would refer to living in the ends of the earth. This story is definitely engineered by God. Do we see the Spirit of God moving in this? I mean, could Philip have come up with this at all? Right? It's like ministry. I told you my story last week and I talked to you about the book uh, Experiencing God, how I think that is the most awesome Bible study ever written by Henry Blackaby, old Bible study. But it, the point is this the Spirit is at work, the Spirit is moving. It is God that is at work. We don't decide something and try to bring God in like he's in a box and say, I need your blessing and I need you to really push this through for me. I need you to open this door, right? No, God is at work. And then God invites us to join him. So one of my biggest prayers is, God, give me eyes to see and ears to hear what you're up to. What are you doing? Where, where are you working? How can I join you? right? And and that's the situation because here, Philip couldn't have seen this coming. Are you kidding? He just happens to be at the perfect crossroad with the Ethiopian eunuch. This is spirit driven. Have you ever had those moments, those divine appointments that you couldn't have planned to save your life? The angel of the Lord appears to Philip and says, I need you to go to this street. And then when he gets to this place, it just so happens that an Ethiopian eunuch is coming From Jerusalem, headed back to Ethiopia, and the Spirit says to him in his heart, Go join him. So he gets close enough to him that then what happens? Providentially, he overhears him reading Isaiah 53. And so then he asks, Do you understand what you're reading? And he's like, how can I unless someone helps me? This is so awesome. Do you know this happens all the time if you have ears to hear? You will be, I know I'm nosy, but there are places you'll be sitting in a restaurant, right? It happened to me at, what's that place I love? The Taco Guild. Have you ever been there downtown? Oh, man, it's good. Y'all need to go. It's an old restored church, and it's tacos. I was sitting at the bar with my friends having tacos right there. And it started off with politics, of course. These different guys and their wives or whatever, they're all talking about it. And then my friend joins in about something with politics. Now we're in this conversation. Then something comes up about the Bible, and I go, I know a little something about that. I go... Do you understand that? Not at all. I go, well, do you mind if I tell you a story? Who's offended by a story? Not at all. And you end up, and this is the thing, we have divine appointments all the time that I think we miss. Because I don't believe that we're leaning in to hearing what the Spirit has for us. What we're doing is focused on pinstripe pillows for our couch. Like, we, we have to pay attention. So he gets in there. Do you understand? No. How can I, unless someone helps me? Now, let's be reminded who this Ethiopian eunuch is. Number one, we talked about last week, he's a black man. All right. And I read you a quote from a book called Blacks in Antiquity, if you remember, that said that the Ethiopian was the yardstick by which people in, of antiquity measured color. Okay. Bottom line, we all have the same pigment. Some of us just have more or less. The Ethiopian was the yardstick for that. They were of the darkest of that pigment, right? And I also believe I read you a quote talking about in antiquity, there really wasn't all out uh, prejudice or racism due to color or color and a combination of... uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Features. Yes. Okay. And so that, that's our deal. That was not their deal, but it was the yardstick. So he represented not only the fringes of the empire, that he lived outside the fringe of the empire, but that he was on the fringes of color and ethnicity. Okay. He was the yardstick. He lived south of Egypt in what we would call today the Sudan. Uh, he was a court official. He, uh, that area was called the Nubian kingdom. And at one point, it was a very powerful kingdom. It says that he uh, worked for Candace, which, by the way, is not a personal name. It's a title. Okay, um, She was the queen of that area. He had traveled a great distance. We also know he's literate. He would have been of high social standing. He was in charge of all her treasure, and he was a eunuch, okay? Now, the eunuch, eunuch, that term simply can mean official, but I don't think that's what it means here. I believe it means it in the full sense of the word. A eunuch is a person um, who has been castrated or even dismembered. And there's some pretty big argument for the dismemberment. And so his body has basically been mutilated. Why? Well, the obvious reasons are, if you are going to work anywhere around a king and his harem, then if you become a eunuch in that official capacity, there is no threat to the harem whatsoever and not only uh, being in charge of a harem but if you're going to work in close relationship with the queen then you are made a eunuch and so I believe this was the situation here's the point though from the Jewish point of view this put this person on the fringes of religion on the fringes um Look at Deuteronomy 23.1. I'll show you. What's your title say? Mine says those excluded from the assembly. All right. So those who are not allowed entrance, they aren't allowed in. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. Do you know that was there? Bet you didn't. Try teaching this stuff to high schoolers back in the day. (laughs) Okay. The bottom line, this was interpreted typically to mean that eunuchs were to be excluded from God's assembly. That's as simple as I can put it without going into, if you want to go down that rabbit trail, you can, you can look at that. You can study that. But the bottom line, the point of this story is what he is an outsider An outlier in every way. He is on the fringes outside of the empire to the ends of the earth. He is to the uh, outside or the fringes of ethnicity. And he is what? Outside on the fringes of the assembly, God's people per se. Good question. She just said, why did he go to Jerusalem? I cannot help but wonder. Here's my next statement. I cannot help but wonder what part of the Jewish religion and the Jewish God attracted him, right? So I I kept thinking about, do y'all sit in these stories? See, this is the fun of it. If you're reading this story, you should be sitting there like you're trying to figure out a murder mystery on television. Why would this man that has such status and wealth and and actual intelligence and all this travel all the way on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship or to seek or to understand the God of the Jewish people? Why? I don't know. But some of my thoughts were, well, who or what introduced him? Well, he was the treasurer. Had he found some ancient treasure that was in that land that pointed back to this people group? And then he did research and then did he go back and does some of the Egyptian drawings and writings of the story of this strange people, uh, was there something about, uh, do you remember who went to see, uh, King Solomon, the queen of Sheba? Was there something from those days that was around that drew his interest? And by the way, uh, someone asked me last week, I, I can't remember who, did the Queen of Sheba marry Solomon, and did they have a child? Listen, I can barely keep up with the conspiracy theories of today currently, okay? I don't know if I can keep up with those. And here's the thing, just like today, when someone tells me a conspiracy theory, and I think there's some truth there, maybe there's some truth in these, but I don't know. And people, it's all speculation in that case. But what I do know is that Jesus refers to her. So let me show you, um, go to Matthew 12, 42. These are just things to make you go, hmm. Matthew 12, 42. So the context is that the Religious leaders want to see signs and miracles, okay? And so here is Jesus's response to them on if or why he's not going to do that. It says, um, I'll start in actually 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign That is the queen of Sheba. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here, right? I can't tell you all the conspiracy theories, but I can tell you this. There was some respect about the fact that the queen of Sheba traveled all the way from where she was because she heard about the wisdom of the teachings of Solomon. I don't know what brought him, but I can tell you this. He came seeking true knowledge of God. Something was drawing him to a pilgrimage to find out um, the truth of what is there. And he ends up Reading Isaiah 53. Now, if you were going to be in this story, in your, in your chair or prayer closet or office, what would you ask yourself right now? <laughs> Y'all are the smartest people. See, you sit there and you're like, how did this eunuch, this Ethiopian eunuch, get a scroll? Do you understand? It wasn't like our Bibles today. I have 10 on my bookshelf, okay, all different. No, these were priceless, like these scrolls were, there weren't just, everyone didn't just have a scroll, right? And he ends up with this scroll of Isaiah, I put he possibly, and and then I went back and I think, think about what he experienced. He possibly went to the temple for sure, but he would have only made it as far as the court of the Gentiles, okay? And by the way, you would have known he was a eunuch. There are outward things that you would see, okay? He didn't go through puberty, His body would have had less hair. His voice would be, I mean, like there were ways you could tell that this was a eunuch. They robbed him basically of masculinity. All right. And so, but he would have made it as far as the court of the Gentiles at best, but he probably would have sought out some synagogues. And what I think is interesting, this is just writing in pencil in your head. What synagogue do you think he probably would have gone in? Definitely more of the Greek speaking. What about the synagogue of the freedmen? Right? But somehow he, because of his wealth, he was able to purchase this scroll of Isaiah. He acquired a scroll. N.T. Wright says this. I love it. It says, When you find yourself attracted towards the faith, the scriptures provide something you can have and hold and take away, and which, however far you are geographically from a place of worship, can become the source of living waters from which you can drink at your own pace and in your own way. But of course, sooner or later, you find yourself faced with a passage, which sounds powerful and important, but you don't know what it means. And then you need help. I have two thoughts of that. We take our Bible totally for granted. One day, we may not have the freedom to have these amazing Bibles, to be able to study and to know God and to understand and to walk at our own pace with him and relationship with him, reading his holy scriptures. We may not. We take it for granted. I don't believe he was taking it for granted. I think he was reading it, searching it, trying to find the truth. I wonder how many of us, we've settled for this simple truth. I'm a sinner. Jesus died for my sins. If I pray a prayer and check a box and say, I believe that I am saved from hell. I'm going to heaven. End of story. End of my search. That's about as deep as we get, as inquisitive as we get. How can that be? He was seeking truth and wisdom. Listen, God has always been for all people. If you, if you go throughout the Old Testament and in the New, you will see people on the fringes, certain people mentioned all the time that are seeking truth. It wasn't a racial thing that was only given to the Jewish people. There is something inside the hearts of man, God put eternity in the hearts of man, something that draws us to seek the truth. Have you forgotten that you're a student? I'm going to tell you, we have got to grow. If you do not grow, you will fall back. We have to push forward and grow. It brings life It brings intelligence and conversation and depth and understanding. It affects how we love people, what we think of people, how we treat people. It affects everything. It affects what we hold on to when the wheels of our life fall apart. It is all in this, this seeking of truth and wisdom. And you have this guy traveling from the ends of the earth to seek it, and he gets a precious scroll, and he is searching through it so that he can have greater understanding but there does come a time when you get to a place and what you don't know what it means and we need help. That's why we have, that's why we should have Bible studies and we should get together. That's why they sat in the synagogue to look over the scripture. That's why I call professor proverb when I'm like, what is that? Oh my goodness. Or, It's not always that I need help. It's like, let me show you what I find. And he's like, oh, that's good, girl. That's good. And that's what it is about. We help each other grow. We we teach each other in every other avenue of our life, right? We've gotten lazy. We go to church and we hear a three-point message and we think, oh, that'll sustain us. I don't need to grow. I don't need to learn. And why is it that we finally get to a point that in our, in our lives, too, even when we don't have to go to work every day, we have all the time in the world to grow and learn and in, to increase our brain and our thought and to pour in to our grandchildren and the community and serve. What the world are we doing? And so you're seeing this. I'm just convicted by this when I see it. That I have the privilege of being able to sit in this and study this and seek this knowledge and understanding and let it go down into my heart and have these aha moments. I'm going to tell you, we'll talk about that more with Saul. So then I love what he said when, in, in that quote when he says, and sometimes you're faced with a passage which sounds powerful and important. So he knows somehow that this passage is powerful. It's important about this suffering servant. But I think it's more than that. I think this one hit him personally. Now, I want you to think about the words of that passage, and you're a eunuch. And when did that happen to you? Before puberty? More than likely, as a young man. And I want you to think about reading. This one, this servant that is coming, that Isaiah is talking about. And here are the descriptions. A sheep led to the slaughter. He was silent. He had no voice. Listen, he doesn't know what we know about Jesus. He's just reading this intense poetic language. Silent that he was mocked and put down, that he had experienced a great injustice and that what legacy would he leave? What kin, what generation he's been taken from the earth? Ponder that. Do you think his mind could go back to a time where a young man was taken like a sheep to the slaughter? He didn't have a voice in anything that was happening. He experienced incredible injustice. He walked around with probably a lot of shame, no matter his status or position. What legacy is he going to leave? He's a eunuch. I just think the words pierced his heart. I think they're powerful. In the story of Isaiah, I think he knows it's important. But I think he feels it personally. He wants to know who is this. And so the point right now for him is not about the deeds of the servant. He wants to know the identity of this servant. Who is he? Now, that's a good question. Because Isaiah is one of my favorites. But let me tell you, Isaiah can be seriously confusing if you're going through this and you're looking at the word servant. Because at times, Isaiah himself refers to himself as the servant. Jeremiah does the same thing. Matter of fact, let me see if I wrote it down. Yeah, Jeremiah eleven eighteen 18 through 20, he actually refers to himself as a lamb led to the slaughter. In Isaiah 44:11, God refers to Israel as the servant. In Isaiah 49, 5, he then makes a distinction between Israel and the servant. And then in this one, in 53, he is actually saying that Israel is the enemy of the servant. So the question is valid, don't you think? Who is this servant. Who is this servant? It talks about that this is the servant who came to do what Israel couldn't, who would complete Israel's task, who would come to them and restore them, all of them, even the lost sheep of Israel, not just Jerusalem, but what Samaria, that he would restore them and through them restore what? All nations to the ends of the earth. To bear in his own body, this passage is saying, the shame and reproach of all nations and of God's chosen people. That this servant would die under the weight of the world's wickedness. A servant who would rescue them all. I mean, I would want to know because not only that, then you find out in Isaiah 54 that he's a servant who would usher in a new covenant. And then in Isaiah 55, you find out that this servant is going to bring new creation. He's going to restore all of creation. And then in 56... He's going to be a servant that is going to bring salvation for the foreigner. You got to turn to Isaiah 56 and let me read to you some stuff. Starting in verse three, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. Now remember who this is. This is the man, this Ethiopian that we're talking about. He has been separated from God's people. He is on the outside of the empire. He is on the outside of really as far as you can get in ethnicity. He is in the outside of the assembly because he is not allowed entrance. But it says, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. How beautiful is that? This is the point. He's saying there are no outliers. (laughs) There there are no outsiders. That because of what this servant, suffering servant is coming to do, he has made a way for all people. Those who had once been separated from the people of God, have now been granted what? Entrance. Through the blood of Jesus, the suffering servant, the lamb that was led to the slaughter, who would carry the shame of the world, who would die for our penalty, and who would bring about a new covenant in his blood and the promise of one day a new creation, No, and all foreigners saved, a great resurrection. I mean, this is the story right? And and it is amazing. Let me tell you something. As we saw in Stephen's sermon, and we will see it in Paul's, the Jewish people viewed the Hebrew scripture, scripture primarily as a great story. Okay, let that sink in. Because a lot of times we study it for what? Don't you think that a lot of times we study it to see what's coming in the future, to decide what we do today, to speak, like, you know what I'm talking about? But they viewed it as what? As a beautiful narrative and story about what God has done. That's how they primarily viewed it. Beginning with creation of the world, with, with uh, the creation of all things, with man and the catastrophe of rebellion. Moving on through who? Abraham? and Moses, and King David, and then the prophets to present day. We don't read it uh, just to see clues of what is coming, but we read it to know the climax of the story. So here's my point. I don't think Isaiah the prophet was writing, seeing Jesus in the future, and then describing him in mystical poetic language. I don't think that's what he was doing. I think what happened with Isaiah is Isaiah was meditating on the scriptures and he was deeply concerned about what was gonna happen during the exile. All these promises were in the balance and the situation of his day was what? His people, the temple is destroyed. His people have been taken into exile into the Babylonian empire. It looks like, and they're uh, speaking of eunuchs. All of their royal sons have been made eunuchs so that the line is impossible, right? They're doing everything they can to cut this people off, right? And he's like, how are all the promises going to Come to fruition, and he's meditating on the scripture, and the story, and he's searching the scripture, and within his heart comes the picture of what? A servant. A servant sent by God. I don't believe he is looking forward at Jesus and describing Jesus in mystical terms. I think he is describing some form of servant that is coming in the future. It is more like what I would call a future job description. This is what this is what this will be the climax. He was given the foreshadow of what the climax of the story was going to be, and it was going to be the suffering servant, a new covenant, a new creation, salvation for the foreigners. This is what's coming. This is what this eunuch is reading. And don't you think uh, Philip could start there? That's a pretty good opening, that's a pretty good starter. Right? He's saying, "How, how can I understand it if no one's here to help me?" I think Philip goes, "Ding, ding, ding! I can help you. I can tell you this story." And look at verse thirty-five. Look at what he says. Then Philip opened his mouth. I think we could journal right there. How many times do you stay silent in a situation? where you don't have to know, listen, you don't have to know everything, you just have to know more than the person you're talking to. How many parents in here are barely able to help their second grader in math? Right? And you're thinking, they think I'm so smart because what they don't know is I studied the night before how to do that long division or whatever and I'm just a step ahead of them. Okay, that's the thing. Open your mouth. And then if you don't know, go, I don't know, but I know someone who might. Let's see if she's available or he's available. Let's go hang out or let's investigate that together, right? But it says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with this scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. What do you think that looks like? Jesus died on the cross for your sins. He paid your penalty. He raised from the dead. Now you don't go to hell. You get to go to heaven. Was that the end? And then they passed by some water. What's going to keep me from being baptized? Nothing. Is that Was that the good news of Jesus? Because everybody seems to think that's just the good news of Jesus. And when you say that, they're like, okay, I'm not going to hell. I'm going to heaven. I'm out of here. Who cares about this place? Who cares about these people? What's the purpose of living here? What is my purpose in life? To escape this place and not get burned? That's about as far as it goes. Do you really think that is the gospel that he told that guy? No, he told him the beautiful story that the climax is the cross. He told him the beautiful story because Isaiah is saying, this will be the climax. I'm seeing in the distance, the promises will come to fruition because it's gonna climax through the servant who will do these things. And now Philip gets to say what? I know him. And he can go all the way back. He can tell the story about how God promised a redeemer in Genesis chapter three in the middle of the punishment, someone would destroy the enemy and bring about restoration. He could tell the story about how he picked Abram and breathed into him and made him a new creation. And would eventually make what was dead alive in Isaac in a new nation. And that through this people, God would bring this redeemer. And he would be a king like David. And the prophet spoke all about him. And he was able to tell the story and say, Jesus did all of that. He is the one where, he filled the job description. And he is ushering in a kingdom. And guess what? we're a part of it. Everyone's a part of it. Nobody's on the fringes. If you want to be a part, you are welcome. Put your faith in him as your king and let's get about the father's business. And he sees water. Aha. Just so happens providential. They come upon some water. Listen, you want to be baptized. There's a, it's available, right? And he is baptized. Some of you will have a verse 37 in there. Did you notice that, you little scholars? Do some of you not have 37? I don't. Do you? No. Did you notice that it went from 36 to 38? That's because you weren't reading it sitting in your chair in your office because that was added in later. Does anybody have a 37? Will you read it loud where we can hear it? Stand up, girl. Okay, yeah, why is it in parentheses? That's right. And Philip said, "If you believe with all your heart, you may." And he answered and said, "I believe that Jesus Christ is so bad. Okay. They were evangelicals. <laughs> they put it in there to be clear, you know, to make that statement of what he was believing, okay so uh, I just I find that funny. I, I think, you know what? I understand that based on the story, that he believes that Jesus is the fulfillment of the scripture that he is going through, and now why does he want to be baptized? Because he has identified himself with the death and great resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that he will be born anew, that he will be brought into the kingdom of heaven, and he goes about, and guess what? It says that he was incredibly joyful. That should be a byproduct of someone who is in the heavenly kingdom. And our joy cannot be tied always to the circumstances of our life. That joy that comes from knowing the narrative, knowing that he fulfilled it and knowing that he would fulfill every promise that is yet to come. And so it is that hope that gives us joy that one day the trumpet of the Lord will sound and that the dead in Christ will rise first and that those of us who remain will be instantly transformed and we will meet our King in the air to do what? To return and to set things right. What a day that will be. And only God can do that. Only God could go deep enough to set things right. That's what we're a part of. And until then, it is our job to be the church, not bring them back into a temple and determine who can come and who can't come and what we should preach and what. No, we are the church. The building, the church, we should be equipping the saints to send them out to be the church for people. That means we have to open our mouth. We have to know the story. We have to study and be prepared because this is the life and death stuff. This is what's real. If we could be like Stephen and God could split the veil and we could see into the dimension that's actually real around us, I think it would be shocking. It's not that we can't travel two hours to Scottsdale to find a striped pillow. Okay, it's not that, (laughs) but that's not our main purpose and focus. That's not what we're here for. And so can I just encourage you, get your face. This is the exciting stuff. When you feel God use you in ways like that, and you have aha moments into the mysteries of what is going on around you, there's nothing that compares. The spirit is on the move. He's always working. Do you have ears to hear and eyes to see what the Lord is doing? Next week, we're going to get together because I didn't get to Mr. Saul today. Um, and that's okay. But I'm going to tell you this, there, I, just to set it up. There is a book, I think it's called like Who Rolled the Stone Away or something. Did I write down his name? Let me see if I did. He was an attorney, Frank Morrison. And in his book, he, he actually set out to disprove the faith as an attorney. And he said if he could disprove two events, he'd have it made. Obviously, one was the resurrection of Jesus. Do you know what the other one was that he thought was so pitiful that if you could knock that out, that you could really kind of everything else would crumble? The conversion of, the, of Saul of Tarsus. Y'all, this is a big deal. It is such a big deal that in a pretty small book, Luke, remember why he's writing. Do you remember? I know it's been a long time, but he's writing to Theophilus, Right? And one of the thoughts was, you know, maybe he worked for Theophilus. He was trying to encourage him in the faith. My main thing is, I believe he was preparing a defense for Paul, who was going to be on trial in Rome. It's just an exhaustive, as much as he can, it's an explanation of how this ignited in Jerusalem, and it ended up going basically to the ends of the earth. And he has a small book to write that in. And within that small book, this conversion is talked about, no less than three times. It's huge. And we're going to see what happened. Don't miss next week. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that we get to see the beauty of it. The fact that way back, all of your promises, all fulfilled in Jesus. The fact that Isaiah, in such really a time that seems so hopeless, meditating on your promises and longing and seeking, wanting to understand, seeking knowledge, Not being okay with what is happening, but seeking knowledge, seeking your will. And in that, you give him these visions in advance of this servant who would be a suffering servant. And through his death, like a a lamb led to slaughter, he would usher in the opportunity of a new covenant in his blood, an everlasting covenant. And that because of this, he would restore all of creation. And all would be welcome to the ends of the earth. Lord, I thank you for that. And I thank you that all the promises that I've studied, that you, I have seen, you fulfill, they give me the faith to hold on to the ones that are yet to be fulfilled. Because I know that you are a promise keeping God. And to be honest, Lord, In many days, that is the only thing that keeps me in the game. Because you said this life is hard, and you are not joking. It is hard. But you overcame it, and we are moving to an end. To a hopeful end where you will be King of kings and Lord of lords. And we will get it all back. And so God, let us consider it pure joy then as we run this race, and we get the opportunity to suffer along with you and to be a part of that team. I love you. In Jesus' name, amen.